Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Green Magic, Green Medicine with your hostess, Miss Susan Weed. Last week, in continuation of our discussion of the 13 sacred trees, it was actually two weeks ago, she was discussing reeds. And I think we're going to continue with that this evening, the 13 Sacred Trees series right here on Green Magic, Green Medicine with Susan Weed. And we'll be right back. Forbidden archaeology, forgotten history, divination, magic, cryptozoology, UFOs, nature, science, and spirit. All this and more right here on the Main Street Universe Radio Network. for giving me last week off. I had a glorious time with the green goddesses. Oh, great, great. Yes. And how had, was that? How did that go? We had, exquisite, we had exquisite weather for walking to the river and going swimming and for walking down the Farmer John's and being taken on a tour, a walking tour of his farm. We'd, it was already three miles to John's, and then we walked another three miles just walking around his farm. So we we came home and sat down after that, but well, we got uh, just a lot of wonderful things done, and so thank you again for giving me last Tuesday off. It made it ever so much easier for me since I was both teaching and cooking for the whole group. Oh but well, so you were the were the catering. <laughs> I was the catering exactly because to me, you know, so much of it is in the food. And so much of it also, especially in that kind of week-long apprenticeship, is in helping the women see that eating really well is not something that takes a huge amount of time or that's enormously complicated. Many people kind of, you know, count themselves out from eating healthy food because they say, I don't have that that kind of time. Mm Mm-hmm. And I, so I think it's really important to 
uh, introduce uh, people, women especially, to a wide variety of really simple recipes that are very, very tasty. One of my co-teachers for the Green Goddess Week is a wonderful woman, Yvette Lewis, a fantastic artist. And she herself participated in a Green Goddess Week some years previously. And she said, you know, I don't really want to work in the kitchen, but I want to watch what you all are doing. And she did. She came and she just stood and she watched what we were doing. She stayed out of the way. You know, she jumped when we were moving fast and she kind of lounged around when we were moving slow. And after not having cooked, she was, you know, the mom of two, both of whom are quite grown up and and so on. Um, uh, She finally decided that she could indeed really make meals for herself and her husband. And she said, I'm, uh, I can make soup. I can make great soup. And she has gone on to, you know, almost a career in making soup for her and her husband. And he's responded by liking to cook other things. So between them, uh, they have really uh, vastly improved their diet by this simple expedient of cooking their own food. Mm-hmm. So, so it's almost mm, you're running a, so a it's whole important. event. <laughs> yeah, to me, it's part of the teaching. Yeah. It's not like, oh, I'm teaching about herbs, and then here comes this food that we don't have any connection to. Because food exactly. is our medicine, and medicine is our food. And what's the difference between food and herbs anyhow? Mm-hmm. If I make a zucchini soup, and I put 10 cloves of garlic in that zucchini soup to serve five people, how is that different from herbal medicine? I would say it's not. <laughs> it's not, exactly. One of the yeah. first things that we did when we got together was to make ourselves a big dish of dandelion italiano. And Ooh, we took dandelion that's... greens that we had gotten at the supermarket and we blanched them. And then we dressed them with tamari and olive oil and chopped up lots of garlic. And put all that garlic in and let it marinate for a while. And, you know, I when I served that... It was, I turned around, and it, they were licking the bottom of the bowl. Oh, yeah, and I'm, uh, I'm someone who definitely would have liked that, because I'm, I'm a big garlic fan myself, so I'd, if I happen to be making something for somebody else, I'm usually thinking, okay, that might be too much, I don't know. <laughs> but, <laughs> probably not, probably not. Probably not. Especially not if it's a woman. We We, we talked about how, um, I've rarely met a woman uh, for who would say to me, oh, no, no, that's too much garlic. Mm-hmm. And every time I said to this group, what do you think, should I put in more garlic? They say, yes. <laughs> right, so we were tasting the baba ganoush, or, you know, making something. Well, should I put in more garlic? Yes, they would say. <laughs> and I agree. Good to know. Yeah. Not, we're not the only one. Not at all. <laughs> we, made, and we made a pesto. Which is basically what? Garlic and oil and salt and herb. Now, basil pesto, of course, is what many people think of, but basil doesn't have to be your herb. So long as you've got the oil and the salt and the garlic, it's pesto. You can use parsley. You can use dandelion leaf. And dandelion leaf pesto is amazingly fabulous. And dandelions, one of those most underrated planets in the or plants. I'm sorry, I said planets. Plants in the 
in the world, we just we throw them away. We cut them in our yard, and people throw them away out, out front and rake them up. And you know, it's just a, or or whatever. It's a, it's a powerful. Indeed, and as the nights cool, the dandelion gets sweeter and sweeter. People mm-hmm. think of dandelion as a springtime plant. And certainly it was a green that was avidly sought after by people who hadn't had any green all winter. But the dandelion leaves taste better in the autumn and early mm. winter time. So I always like to start talking about dandelion as we start thinking about going back to school. And say, Oh, you know, you wanna you wanna be able to study better, you wanna be able to retain more, you wanna have a uh, a sharper mind, dandelion is going to help you. But that's not one of the trees of the 13 moons. And reed is. Did you find any fag- Phragmites reed in the couple of weeks since we've spoken? Um, I have not. I've uh, been a little down and out, meaning my ankles have been hurting more. So I actually took some time off work. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Yeah, it's, you know, it's just a thing. <laughs> it's a plantar fasciitis, you know, the, the tendon stress. Um, hmm, okay. I don't know if you're familiar with it or not, at the bottom of the foot. And have, they recommend have you and I talked about, have we talked about Comfrey? A little because bit, yeah. Because comfrey is very specific to help heal and mend tendons and ligaments and bones. And it can be very safely used as a soak. Oh. So you don't even have to worry about whether or not you feel comfortable taking it internally. I do, but not everyone does. And just make a comfrey infusion. You can make a comfrey infusion from the leaf of the root. And then soak your feet right up to the ankles in that infusion. So make, you know, like half a gallon and get like a shallow basin, like a, you know, like a plastic wash-up tub, dishwashing tub. So you're saying take it externally and internally? I'm saying you don't have to take it internally at all. Oh, oh, okay, okay. I'm saying that soaking is good enough. So it's an infusion, then you soak in the infusion. That's that's interesting. I like that. Right. That's right. You can even leave the plant material in there if you want to. And I probably would, so that's good. Uh, yeah, uh, just dump the whole thing in there. No problem, right? Like that with that kind of stuff. <laughs> Protect the drain of your bathtub. Don't be washing hunks of plant material, like, off your tootsies into the bathtub, or your plumber will be happy. <laughs> right, and we don't like it when those guys are happy. It costs money. <laughs> I like it when the plumbers are happy. No. I mean, they can be personally happy, but we don't like them to be happy because we've clogged up our plumbing with herbal material, yeah. and, oh, I have done it any number of times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that the listeners have found Phragmites reed. And just to remind everyone, this is that really big reed that you see. It's pretty much all over the place in wet areas. And if you do any traveling by car, you're pretty likely to see Phragmites reed. It's still pretty green at this time, but the old seed stalks are up. And the seed stalks are quite tall, 10 to 12 feet. And they're like big feathers. They have huge plumes. And the plumes can be oh, easily several feet at the top of this plant. 
And at first, uh, when they're flowering, they're a very light, mauvey purple color, which is going to be coming along soon. And then the ones that overwinter, of course, have been bleached to a white, a very beautiful white. And we talked about the amazing ability of the Phragmites reed to take water that has pollutants in it and to convert those pollutants back to carbon and hydrogen and oxygen and nitrogen and just put them back into the atmosphere as useful atoms instead of being pollutants. And that water that runs into Phragmites swamp with all kinds of pollutants runs out of that Phragmites swamp pretty much clear of those pollutants. And they're not in the Phragmites reed. It just does this incredible conversion. And we also talked about how the northern industrial part of New Jersey is uh, home to what looks to me like hundreds of thousands of acres of Phragmites reed. We talked about the fact that reed seems an unlikely choice for tree, but that reed has always been used to symbolize the strength in numbers. And that as we move through our trees of the 13 moons, that the first half is about individual growth and the second half is about growth of the community. So reed being the 12th one, and 12 is the number of the patriarchy because it is something that can be divided and therefore made to do useful work. So the reed shows the power of many coming together, that the bundle of reeds is very strong and can't be broken. We talked about all the different ways that reeds were used, but let me go over some of them again, because it's really, to me, quite fascinating, the many, many uses that reed has. First and foremost, the Phragmites reed is the most common material used for thatching. We think of that, we think, we kind of imagine thatching is like, oh, it's hay. But of course, hay, which is grasses of the field, would not be able to shed water. And if it's going to be a thatched roof, we want it to shed water. If you also look at a picture of um, a thatched roof, you will see that there is um, a cut, that there's a real edge to it. And, of course, you couldn't actually get hay to make a neat edge like that. Anyone who's ever worked around bales of hay or rolls of hay know that hay is the original wild child. It just kind of sticks out everywhere, even when you want to make a flat surface. But reeds can be cut to make that flat surface, and they are round and slippery. So when they are bundled together and laid up as thatch, they shed the rain. And again, that's how a thatch roof is laid up. We don't just throw heaps of material onto it. We actually make an understructure of wood, and then we tie bundles of Phragmites reed minus its feathery top, just the reedy part of it. We tie those bundles together, and we, then we tie those bundles onto the wooden structure that we've created for the roof, making it thicker and thicker, tying it together. Um, within the past 15 years, the Globe Theatre in London, that's Shakespeare's theatre, was built again. And it was an exact replica of the Globe, except I think that they made it larger for modern standards because we are bigger than the people were in Shakespeare's day. And also we don't like to be quite as crowded as they were willing to be. 
and they wanted really to do it just as it had been, the Globe Theater, just as it was for Shakespeare and in Shakespeare's day. And so that meant a thatched roof. But, of course, <clears throat> after Mrs. O'Leary's cow kicked the lantern over no more thatched roofs for London, because London burned to the ground because of the thatched roofs. So they had to install a state-of-the-art modern sprinkler system in their thatched roof in order to get this to pass the building codes. Isn't Reed a versatile material? That it's at one and the same time one of the oldest of the materials used to make a strong and sturdy roofing. And yet at the same time, it's perfectly adaptable because of the individual reeds so that they could lay this sprinkling system right into the thatch roof so that if ever caught on fire that the sprinklers would come on and we wouldn't have to worry about Mrs. O'Leary, her cow, or burning London down again. This then leads us to think about the three pigs who built their houses. We all recall that the pig who built his house of brick was the winner of this particular story. And we might have sympathized with the pig who built his house of sticks, since many of us live in wooden houses, myself included. But I bet that none of us thought that the pig who was building his house from straw, which is what's usually translated, had any smarts at all. We thought, well, my goodness, a straw house, that's just going to blow down at the first wind. But then when we take a step backwards and realize that it's simply a mistranslation and that what was really meant was reed and that, again, the weed bundled together is as strong or stronger than wood. A properly made reed house, like a reed roof, which is a thatched roof, can be exceptionally strong. Nowadays, if we want to build with straw, we put it into some kind of mud and let it harden into bricks. But building with reed was a light and airy way to go. I was looking at a documentary about people who live in flood-prone areas of the world, and there are more of these flood-prone areas as sea levels rise. And the people who live there and their millions, about millions of people who do, because these are very fertile lands, and they're often a very wonderful lands to live in, except for the fact that your house floods uh, at different times during the year. And these people specialize in houses that can be put up and taken down, often made of matting that goes up around a kind of frame. So think a tropical yurt, say. And these mats are most often made of Reeds. Even people who didn't have to contend with rising sea levels and their houses flooding, so they need to take them down and put them onto higher ground, often used Phragmites reed to make beautiful mats to keep us up off the dirt of the floor and to have something lovely to sit on. Mats to sit on. Mats to roll things up in and to act as carriers. Mats to be used if they are big enough to help drag things, to put something that we have found that we want to bring back to where we're living but it's far too heavy to carry onto a mat and drag it back. Phragmites was one of the preferred materials for making mats. 
Plants that grow in swamps are especially good for making mats because they seem to be resistant to wear and tear as well as dampness. Cattail, of course, the, the leaves of the cattail is also a great favorite for making mats. If that wasn't enough, the reed is the ideal material for making an arrow. Think about it. What do we want in an arrow? We want a straight stick, right? Right. Now let's go outside and pick up sticks until we find a straight one. Right. Right? You're like good good luck. <laughs> good luck. It's gonna be a long and lonely time before we find a straight stick. But every reed is straight. And light. Hollow. And so easy to fletch, easy to add those little wingy feathers at the end that make it fly and easy to add a point to. Everywhere reeds grow, they are the preferred material for arrows. Look at a picture of an Aboriginal person in South America or North America using a bow, and you will see that they have an arrow. The arrow will probably look very long to you because it's made of a reed rather than a stick. And Susan, um, a friend in the chat room said Cherokee blowgun darts are made from reeds. He's actually a, a, my guitar player, Larry, who's Cherokee. Says, so they also make their those blowguns from the reeds as well, the darts. Yes, the darts, and I wouldn't be surprised if the blowgun m- might be made from a different kind because, as we said, the reeds are hollow. So yeah. it leads to being used in a variety of different ways, um, including musical instruments. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, my exposure to a kind of panpipe is bamboo, because the ones that I've always seen are made of bamboo, but then when I think about it, well, obviously they weren't made of bamboo. Bamboo doesn't grow in the Mediterranean area, doesn't grow in North America, not that it can't. But it doesn't naturally, and yet we see people playing this kind of flute, you know, with the the hollow tubes arranged in front of them, longest to shortest and varying in between, blowing across the surface of it. And reeds were sometimes used that way, and the tree of the 13th moon elder was also sometimes used to make these kinds of panpipes. And... Laramie did confirm in the chat room. He said, yes, the guns as well. They were, they were reed as well. Yeah. Yeah. So an uncommonly useful plant. I think that I mentioned last time that the green stalks, before they get ready to be made into arrows, those green stalks can actually be eaten. And the seeds themselves can be ground into a flower. And the roots, when pounded, become a soap substitute that can be used to take oily substances or sticky substances off um, skin and clothing. Hmm. 
That's interesting. I mean, wow. Now, one more thing, and this to me is super fascinating, but that's because I'm really fascinated by weaving. And I have an alter ego somewhere who's a weaver. Uh, it's not me. I'm living out the life of the herbalist. But that alter ego over there somewhere is a weaver. And when I learned that the reeds are what's used in a loom to separate the warp threads, I just got chills. And if you've ever been around a loom and you can see it or imagine it and you can see that backdrop of those thin little pieces going up and those are reeds. Now, it's not the whole musical instrument, but if you play a clarinet, what do you need to play the clarinet? Well, you need um, the holes, you need the hollow wood, and you need the... um the wooden piece. The wooden piece, right. Now, let's make it a slightly more complicated instead of just a clarinet and make it a reed instrument. Hmm. Right? There are instruments we play which are like that, but we have to get a reed to, to make the instrument work, right? Exactly, that's what I meant by the piece of wood. I meant reed, actually. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> well, my little sister played clarinet. By the way, a difficult instrument to listen to a young person that doesn't know how to play it yet <laughs> when they're practicing. I bet. <laughs> so it takes a reed, right? Yep. Right, again, so the clarinet, we're not saying that it's made of reed, but we're saying that reed is still part of it. And not just the clarinet, but a whole group of instruments that are called the reed instruments. Mm-hmm. Yes. <clears throat> Off and on, as we've been talking about the trees of the 13 moons, I've referred to a druid's herbal of sacred tree medicine by Ellen Everett Hopman. And she has a, quite a lot of interesting things to say about reed. First of all, the the ogum nyegdo, which is reed, doesn't mean reed. And it's supposed to be an NG letter, but she says there's no word in Irish that begins with NG. So we're not really sure what this is. Perhaps, perhaps, it is related to sital, which means a charm. The word ogums associated with this letter are related to the practice of medicine. So I am assuming that a healing charm is what is meant here. In fact, the case is very strong for a connection between reed and a physician's chant or incantation. According to the laws, the physician had an honor price 
of 17 and a half cows, regardless of their letter of expertise. Three things were required of the physician, a complete cure, a painless examination, and no blemish left. The profession of physician was usually hereditary, with training handed down within the family. According to the, I'm going to totally mangle this because I'm sure that's in Gaelic and I neither read nor speak it, so everybody who does forgive, forgive, forgive. According to the Tain Bo Kualinga, wounds were healed by the application of bone marrow or by herbal poultices. By law, a Liagi or physician was allowed to cause bleeding during the course of treatment. But if a sinew or joint was cut, the physician had to pay a fine and heal the patient for free. And there were female physicians who, along with other women, had independent legal capacity. If they had no husband, their honor price was based upon their value to the tribe and their possessions. Such women included, quote, the woman who turns back the streams of war, quote, the hostage ruler, quote, the female right, quote, the woman physician of the Tuas, quote, the woman revered by the Tuas, and the woman who performs miracles. Besides using herbs and surgery, the physician also chanted magical charms. In the Tain, there is a description of how two wounded warriors arrived with their physicians who used medicinal herbs and spoke a healing incantation over the wounds. Here is one example of a healing charm recorded in an Anglo-Saxon book of leechcraft. Worm is a generic term for disease. I wound the worm, I strike the worm, I kill the worm, I wound the worm, I strike the worm, I kill the worm, I wound the worm, I strike the worm, I kill the worm. There was a collection of hymns and incantations collected in the Western Isles of Scotland around a hundred or more years ago, and it preserves some very old incantations. We cannot assume that the Druids used these, but their chants may have been similar. Quote, Bone to bone, vein to vein, balm to balm to the left foot, sap to sap, skin to skin, tissue to tissue to the left foot. Blood to blood, flesh to flesh, sinew to sinew to the left foot, marrow to marrow, piss to piss, fat to fat to the left foot, membrane to membrane, fiber to fiber, moisture to moisture to the left foot. And this is a charm for a sprained ankle. Mm. To get blood flow. Some pretty good stuff, huh? Yeah, getting to yeah. get blood flows perhaps is what it sounds like to me. You know, it's like getting everything yeah. there. Blood flows so we've used up our time for this week. I think we should come back to Ellet 
to Ellen Everett Hoffman next week and find out what else she has to say about Reed. You up for it? Absolutely. And thank you for joining us. All right, then. And I am so blessed to have an opportunity to be part of the Main Street universe. Thank you so much for being the mayor of our town. All right, and thank you for being its number one, um, I guess, well, you have governor and lieutenant governor. I forget what it says. <laughs> but, I, guess, um, I, I guess I could be the winner. Highest rated show is what I was trying to say. <laughs> the Green Witch. Remember, everybody, herbal medicine, it's your medicine. It grows right outside your door. Good night, right. Daniel. Thank you. And we'll be back next week with another episode of... Actually, Susan, we won't be back next week. We won't be back next week. No, we will be back. I'm going to take the week off. I'm now. I'm taking. You took the week off last week. Now I am. I'm playing a show in Richmond, Virginia. So okay. So no show next week. So be two weeks. Yeah, we'll be back the next week. Yes, I just wanted to make sure. I was going to send a note to to your person there. So we'll go ahead. Wonderful. uh, I'm so glad you remembered. Yes, I remembered. <laughs> Good luck. Anyway, thank you again. Talk to you Have in two weeks. Green, green blessings. Week. Good night. All right. Green blessings. And here is a little bit from some friends of mine, Jim and Ashley Cash. It's called Lift You Up. I think it's a very pretty beginning of this little tune. It's on their newest thing. Archaeology, Forgotten History, Divination, Magic, Cryptozoology, UFOs, Nature, Science, and Spirit. 
All this and more right here on the Main Street Universe Radio Network. Blessed are we in the awakening all. Blessed are we in the morning. Blessed are we in the light of the day as we enjoy the afternoon. Blessed are we as the twilight descends and the magic of dusk is upon us. And blessed are we in the dark of the night as we slip into dreams that are calling. Blessed are we in the awakening dawn. Blessed are we in the morning. Blessed are we in the light of the day as we enjoy the afternoon. Blessed are we as the twilight descends and the magic of dusk is upon us. Blessed. 